0: Anyone can legally say, eat shit, Bob. When we contacted Murray Energy for this piece, they sent us a letter instructing us to cease and desist from any effort to defame, harass, or otherwise injure Mr. Murray or Murray Energy, and telling us that failure to do so will result in immediate litigation. And a cease and desist letter is incredibly something that we've never received before on this show. (laughs) So, so I have to proceed with caution. I'm not going to say, for instance, that Bob Murray looks like a geriatric Dr. Evil, <laughs> even though, even though he clearly does. One nation under pod.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Civil Fights podcast, a project of the ACLU of West Virginia. My name is Noah Brzezinski, and I am joined by the ACLU of West Virginia's legal director, Jamie Lynn Crofts. Originally, we were planning to do a longer episode about the Muslim ban and another long episode about bail and bond issues across the country. But something much more pressing and exciting has come up. Jamie Lynn Crofts has filed an amicus brief in a very Important West Virginia lawsuit. Jamie, can you tell us a little bit about it?
0: Yes, I can. So, if any of our listeners watched the show Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, then they will know exactly what this brief is about. Last month, John Oliver did an episode that focused a lot on the coal industry, and in particular, talked about a couple of famous coal barons here in West Virginia, including one named Bob Murray. Uh, Bob Murray has a very, shall we say, litigious past and actually threatened to sue John Oliver before he ran the episode if he didn't say what Bob Murray wanted him to. John Oliver ran the episode and, among other things, had a giant squirrel named Mr. Nutterbutter come out and tell him to eat shit and uh, compared him to a geriatric Dr. Evil.
1: (laughs) So, Jamie, what is is Mr. Murray actually claiming? What what is this lawsuit about?
0: Uh, So, he had a couple of different ridiculous claims. Uh, He is suing for defamation, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and false light invasion of privacy. And if you're not a lawyer and don't know what these terms mean, that's okay. But what you do need to know is that this lawsuit is basically attacking what John Oliver said and what he reported on his news program. And that's just really not okay under the First Amendment.
1: So I am a lawyer and I'm not totally sure that I remember the exact rules for a defamation lawsuit. It seems like John Oliver just at the outset is pretty well protected from any suit here because Mr. Murray is quite the public figure. Am I wrong about that?
0: No, you're right about that. And there has been U.S. Supreme Court law on the books for decades saying that if you're a public figure, you can't sue for these types of things unless you can show actual malice. And the Supreme Court defines actual malice as knowing that something is false and publishing it anyway. Um, and there's also an element that you have to be trying to hurt the person.
1: So, I imagine a lot of our listeners who are not attorneys would like to know where these things are in the process, how how a civil suit works. You mentioned in your brief, which is being widely read across the internet as we speak, that the lawsuit, which Mr. Murray is bringing, fails to state an actionable claim. Can you describe for us in a little bit more detail what it means when a lawsuit should be dismissed because it fails to state a claim?
0: Yes. So in, I believe, every state and also in federal court, in order for a case to proceed and get to the things, you know, that cost money, like deposing people and producing documents— Usually first, the defendant, the person who's being sued, files a motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim. And what that means is that nothing that's raised in the complaint, the initiating document, actually says that the person who's being sued violated a law.
1: So that's what I remember. What you're saying is even if everything that Mr. Murray is saying is true, nothing that he's claiming is actually a legal, actionable complaint. So one thing that I'd like to discuss and and dig into a little bit here is what Bob Murray is actually asking the court to do. He's asking the court to enforce the rules of defamation, which in West Virginia might be statutory or based on common law. Uh, Every state does it a little bit differently. But what exactly is Bob Murray asking the court to do here?
0: Well, that's actually one of the really great parts, because Bob Murray didn't just file this lawsuit and ask for damages. His attorneys also filed a motion for a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction, which in lawyer speak means a motion to make someone stop doing something. And in this case, what they were asking for was for John Oliver, HBO, and Time, which owns HBO, to not talk about this lawsuit or Bob Murray.
1: And are they demanding any sort of damages? Are they demanding an apology? What what exactly do they ultimately want here, other than just to shut up John Oliver?
0: Well, they ask for damages in the complaint, but I think that what Bob Murray really wants is to use our court system to try to make people not say mean things about him anymore. And that's why this is so ridiculous, and that's... Why we got involved.
1: And I think that ties into, as you mentioned, that's the whole point of a motion for summary judgment to prevent exactly this kind of abuse.
0: Right. And they also, in their complaint, request a permanent injunction prohibiting rebroadcast of what they call the defamatory statements and requiring removal of those statements from public access. I don't think I've ever read a complaint that asks for something that ridiculous before.
1: So aside from the complaint itself and aside from these specific issues related to Bob Murray and his company, this is a very important lawsuit because here we have a politically influential person who is trying to stop the media's criticism of him. This ties into stuff that you and I have been talking about a lot, about the dangers when the courts and the government gets involved in trying to silence journalists, satirical or otherwise. And
0: Mr. Murray has a long history of suing people just because he wants them to shut up and not be mean to him. He's sued everyone from environmental activists to several journalists, our local newspaper here, the Charleston Gazette Mail, uh, the Huffington Post. I mean, you name it, if they've reported about him and haven't said exactly what he wants them to, Bob Murray has probably sued them before. This is not what our court system is for. This is an abuse of our legal system to try to silence free speech.
1: So what what is the what is the main concern here? Is the concern that lawsuits like this are going to chill aggressive journalism?
0: Yes, that's part of it. And I also want to take this time to just talk a little bit about the First Amendment, and defamation, and how these things all interact. One of my main goals in life is to teach as many people as I can about what the Constitution actually says and means. And one of those things that people frequently get wrong is that the First Amendment only protects you from government action, right? So if you work for a private company and you say something stupid, you can probably get fired for it. But in a defamation suit, the government gets involved in a different way than we're used to. If you file a lawsuit for defamation... Basically, what you're doing is asking the court to decide if the other person's speech is important enough to be protected. And when you ask the court to decide if speech is important or should be protected, then you're getting the government involved in judging the value of speech, which is just not okay.
1: So it, it also, I think, is important to note that John Oliver's coverage of Bob Murray very much relates to issues of public concern. Coal mining presents a number of safety concerns that courts across the country are addressing, uh, regulators across the country are addressing. Can you describe for us a little bit what the test is, whether something is a matter of great public concern such that it is protected?
0: There's not necessarily a per se test that courts will use, But whenever an issue comes up that relates to something that is important to a great number of Americans, then courts accord that speech with an even higher value. So when something is about, for example, politics, such as an episode of a television show talking about Donald Trump and the coal industry, then that is an issue that is a matter of public concern.
1: Right. So there's a difference. There's a huge difference, I imagine, between Things of a tabloid nature, celebrity gossip, which to some extent, of course, is going to be protected because celebrities are public figures, but there is a limit. Courts recognize a limit about what newspapers are allowed to publish about the private life of somewhat famous people. But am I right in saying that where it is an important political, economic, environmental, regulatory issue, speakers are given a lot more leeway Am I correct about that?
0: You are correct. Although there is one thing I'd like to talk about a little bit more, which is the idea of a public figure, Um, and that's because Mr. Murray is a public figure, and so it's relevant to this case. If you are someone who regularly is in the media talking about political issues, or even if you're just famous for some random reason, then you're a public figure, and that gives both the press and people more leeway in talking about you because we can't start criminalize or holding people civilly liable for saying, you know, bad things about the president or a reality TV star. Oh, that's also the president. Um, Or things like that. So it's relevant to this case that Bob Murray is, for example, a regular contributor to Fox News.
1: It's relevant that he's a regular figure who appears in the media. He's someone who, I understand, frequently testifies before Congress, frequently testifies before various regulatory boards. He controls a massive company that employs thousands and thousands of people whose jobs are very much in question as we move toward cleaner technologies. This is a man whose influence is something... Which needs to be uh, investigated. Not to say that he's necessarily done something wrong, but just when someone wields that much power, it is important that journalists have the freedom to call attention to th- their shortcomings.
0: It absolutely is. And that's why the United States Supreme Court has held for so long that if you are a public figure or a public official, that this higher level has to be reached. If someone accidentally puts an incorrect fact in a news report, for example, that's not actionable. Also, with regard to what you were talking about with Mr. Murray being a public figure, that just reminded me of one of my favorite ridiculous lies in the complaint. It's actually in paragraph two. And it says that the defendants, quote, attacked Murray in a form in which he had no opportunity to defend himself. And so he has brought this suit to try to set the record straight. Unbelievably, they also, the day they filed the lawsuit, sent out a press release about it. And within the next two days, Mr. Murray appeared on Fox News to discuss it. So clearly he did not have any forum in which to talk about his own views.
1: Right, this is a person who, because of his wealth and his prestige, has every megaphone available at his disposal. I'm sure with one phone call, Mr. Bob Murray can appear on practically any television show he likes to make the case for whatever he wishes.
0: Right, and that's what should be happening. Things like this, disagreements like this, they aren't something that our court system should be deciding. This is not a matter for our courts. It's a matter for the court of public opinion. Um, If you're not a lawyer, you maybe haven't heard the term marketplace of ideas before. But it's really what underlies the entire First Amendment. The place for debate and discussion and satire and comedy is the marketplace of ideas. That's where you get your point out. You don't sue someone because you don't like what they're saying.
1: (laughs) All right. So, Jamie, explain for us what happens now. So, Bob Murray's company has fired its opening shot. They've filed a complaint. They've asked the judge to issue an injunction. The ACLU of West Virginia has chimed in. Has John Oliver and HBO chimed in at all?
0: Yes. So, John Oliver's lawyers have opposed the Motion for a temporary restraining order, obviously. And they also removed the case to federal court. It was a case that was originally filed in state court.
1: So, Jamie, what happens next? Can you take us through where we are in this lawsuit? The Bob Murray company has filed its initial complaint... The HBO attorneys representing John Oliver and his show have made an initial response asking the judge to preliminarily not do what Bob Murray and his attorneys are asking for. And now the ACLU of West Virginia has chimed in with an amicus brief. Can you explain to us what an amicus brief is and why the ACLU would even get involved in something like this?
0: Yes. So I don't know Latin, so I don't know what the direct translation is, but an amicus brief or amicus brief is a friend of the court brief. And usually when an organization files one, it's because they're not a party to the case, but the case raises an important issue that they care about. And so here that issue is free speech for the ACLU.
1: So who can file an amicus brief in a case like this?
0: That's a great question. Can anyone file an amicus? (laughs)
1: I actually I, so, yeah, I, actually, I do know the answer to this. The answer is anyone. Anyone can file an amicus brief. I know in Supreme Court cases, they get hundreds and hundreds of amicus briefs from everyone under the sun, every assistant law professor at tiny schools across the country, every freedom-loving adult with a Westlaw account. Writes their own amicus briefs and they get sent in, and the, those poor clerks have to pour through them. And of course, we hear about the ACLU amicus briefs and we hear about the ones written by famous professors with their own op ed columns in large newspapers. But one of the great things about the American legal tradition is that everyone can chime in. Usually, courts will have different filing rules. You probably have to be an attorney. I'm sure uh, I know for a fact the Supreme Court has some interesting rules about fonts and page length and margin size. But this is one of the cool things about our judicial system is that when something is up for grabs, almost everyone gets to have their say.
0: That is pretty cool. And what's funny is that I actually file amicus briefs at least a few times a year, and I have never had one blow up the way that this one did.
1: It's really exciting. I, th- I think the lesson from this is if you can include the phrase eat shit in an amicus brief, you're probably likely to get some ink on it.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, uh, so do you want to ask like why I used humor?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, so one of the things, one of the things that's very amusing about this Amicus brief, and one of the reasons why I think it's getting a lot of traction across various news sites. I mean, I'm seeing it on Huffington Post right now. On, uh, I believe Salon had it. Definitely above the law, which is sort of a niche site for younger attorneys, uh, is is your use of humor in this. And I think it's in keeping, of course, with what started all of this, John Oliver's show. Uh, but... You are deserving of compliments on this. It, it is a funny brief, and people are chiming in. They really appreciate it. But it's not just the humor, it's that it's readable, it's short, it's not groaning under the weight of legalese. Yeah, you cite cases in string citations as you're supposed to. But I think, as we were saying about everyone getting a chance to chime in, it is really important that amicus briefs make the point clear. And that's what you do here. The, the point is that. For the most part, you can't sue people for being mean to you on television, least of all when you're a famous public figure with political clout, and even less so when nothing they said was factually incorrect.
0: Right. And another point that I was trying to make throughout the brief is that all kinds of speech on matters of public concern is protected, including satire. And I hope that that came across in my writing.
1: I think it definitely did. I can't remember the last time I read an amicus brief that had pictures in it, but the <laughs> photo here of Mike Myers' Dr. Evil is much appreciated.
0: It is true, in case anyone was wondering, that truth is an absolute defense to a claim of defamation. I encourage you to check out the picture that was included in our brief if you're wondering why I'm bringing that up.
1: So by way of wrapping up this, why why don't you tell us what happens now, now that the initial shots have been fired in this legal battle, what is a court going to do? What's the next step?
0: So that's really up to the court. John Oliver's lawyers had the case removed from state court to federal court. And right now the parties are arguing about whether the case belongs in state court or federal court. And quite honestly, That's not an issue that the ACLU cares about in this particular case.
1: it's, It's a real I mean, it's a real snoozer if I remember my civil procedure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't really want to get into this for our listeners because it depends on, like, where the parties are incorporated and stuff. And, yeah, if you're not a lawyer, you're probably not interested in that aspect of the case.
1: I I think it has something to do with shoes in the Erie Canal, something like that.
0: Something like that. (laughs) Um, So, the federal judge will decide that. Uh, In addition to opposing the motion for a temporary restraining order, I encouraged the court to dismiss the case because it's ridiculous. Um, At some point, the defendants almost certainly will file a motion to dismiss. uh, But whether they file that in state or federal court probably depends on what this judge decides to
1: do. So one thing that I know a lot of people misunderstand about the judicial system is that this case, a case like this, is so, 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 so far away from ever being decided by a jury. This is not the kind of thing where one party files a complaint, one party files a response, and a judge says, okay, let's start picking a jury, and we're going to trial in three weeks. Things like this get dragged out for a very long time.
0: Yes, and in a defamation case, the character of the plaintiffs is actually relevant because one of the things that Bob Murray is suing over is saying that John Oliver, damaged his reputation. So there would likely, in a case like this, if it were to start to proceed to what we lawyers call discovery, there would actually be depositions and document production and whatnot about Mr. Murray's character, which, while it would be really, really entertaining, I don't think we necessarily need for the court to decide that this case needs to be tossed.
1: So by way of wrapping up here, what's ultimately a lesson we can draw from the events of the last couple of days with regard to a civil lawsuit and someone claiming defamation?
0: Well, one of the things I think that we can all take away is that the hashtag Eat Bob is a wonderful thing. But um, I also just hope that our listeners were able to learn a little bit about how the legal system proceeds and also what I've been trying to teach people for years, and that's that practicing law can be fun.
1: <laughs> well, there you have it. Even lawyers have fun writing these things, and sometimes you get the right audience at the right time, and things like this, important issues, go to the forefront of everyone's mind. So, Jamie, thank you for writing a very entertaining brief. I'm really glad it's gotten the attention it's gotten. Well-deserved. And I'm sure everyone will pay close attention as things proceed.
0: I'm just hoping I get a free HBO subscription.
1: (laughs) yeah that'd be nice out of it i think i think i think that's the least don oliver can do at this point No, (laughs) no all all right fine fine no freebies (laughs) just tickets to the show maybe i don't know
0: (laughs) one of my favorite things about all of this was that tech dirt's article about it included the tweet of my cat tiffany who i said was my site checker
1: oh that's funny I also really enjoy, I I mean, I'm, I'm the nerd here who I think just spoke for two minutes about font and margin sizes, but I really enjoy, I really enjoy blue booking, which which for people who don't know, blue booking is the anal retentive procedure by which you have to cite things in legal documents. And it's all about uniformity, um, lawyers cite things in their writing in a very specific way so that other lawyers can immediately look up what they're writing but sometimes you can have a lot of fun in the footnotes for these things because the formality leads itself to some absurd possibilities when you get to a footnote that's usually where you can sort of loosen your tie a bit and that's where you can make some snide or sarcastic comments and that, that can be a really fun part of the job too
0: And if you haven't read my brief yet and you do decide to, I definitely encourage you to pay attention to the footnotes and also the headings because I had a lot of fun and paid a lot of attention to those portions of my brief.
1: Yeah, and as we learned in law school, sometimes the most important part of any legal document is in the footnotes. That's usually where the author is trying to give voice to their real feelings about something, and it can be the most entertaining piece of the whole thing. And
0: I stand by what I believe ended up being footnote three, which is that everyone gets to have dreams.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, we'll leave it at that. We, We dream of a world where speech is not suppressed, and we dream of a world where important public figures are held to account by impressive journalists, satirical or otherwise. So... Jamie, thanks a lot for writing this. And uh, again, we'll all stay tuned to any new developments.
0: We'll keep you updated. And we'll also include a link to our brief as well as a link to the episode in the show notes blog that we post on ACLUWV.org. Thank you to everyone who helped with this episode and the brief, including my rock star legal intern, Gabe Callen, who's about to start his third year at Washington and Lee Law School. Also, thank you to Brian Deziel and Pat Gilroy for their audio editing and mastering. The original music is by Titans of Punk, a music production company by Pat Gilroy and Jeremy Galanis. I'd also like to thank John Oliver for his amazing show, Bob Murray for being such a jackass, and, of course, the ACLU of West Virginia for letting me do all of this. If you'd like to donate to the ACLU of West Virginia, please go to ACLUWV.org and click Donate. Also, if you like our show, I encourage you to please rate us on iTunes so we can reach even more people. Thanks for listening. Mr. Butter, I understand that you have a message for Bob Murray. I do. Okay.
1: Hey, Bob. Just wanted to say, if you're planning on suing, I do not have a billion dollars. But I do have a check for three acorns and 18 cents. Oh, that's, that's very nice of you, Mr. Nutterbutter. It is. Yeah. It's made out to... Eat shit, Bob! <laughs> no, I kiss my ass! <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Nutterbutter!
0: After the live taping, Defendant Oliver exclaimed to the audience that having someone in a squirrel costume tell Bob Murray to eat shit was a dream come true. Everyone is allowed to have dreams. Eat shit, Bob!